I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. So today we are gathered together to discuss a wild study that came out from a MarTech organization called Extreme Reach. It was called Diversity in Ad Creative, and it was a report that was uh, concerning, to say the least. Apparently, Extreme Reach found that, quote, video advertising on linear and digital outlets is whiter, white, like whiter, like white person, Whiter in two in twenty wow in twenty twenty two than in the last two years and roughly equivalent to two thousand nineteen levels. White actors have accounted for seventy three percent of the people seen in video ad creative in twenty twenty two, compared to sixty six percent in twenty twenty one, sixty seven percent in twenty twenty, and seventy four percent in twenty nineteen. So just a percentage point less than in twenty nineteen. Meanwhile, 94% of ads contain at least one white actor, the highest rate of occurrence in the four years analyzed. At the same time, Black, Asian, and Hispanic or Latine representation in video ad creative declined this year, with Hispanic representation reaching its lowest mark in four years, end quote. Kind of feels like we've done this before, right? Like the whole not diversity thing where we only show one type of person, uh, the whole not including all different types of customers mm-hmm. in your ads. I don't know. The thing for me here is that it's not even just about inclusion for the sake of inclusion. Like maybe that sounds shitty that like we should care about inclusion for the sake of inclusion, for representation, for the betterment of the world and humanity. But also just like from a purely cynical point of view, When you only advertise to one type of person, you leave so much money on the table. Uh, Money from all the other people who got money to spend. And uh, there's sort of this bigger problem reflected in marketing and advertising, right? And it's been a problem for a long time. We keep sort of wrestling through it and it feels like we start to get better and then apparently we don't, (laughs) you know, like there's one specific type of person, namely white, cis, heterosexual men, or at least white men who were not out. They created this whole advertising form, right? And now in the gear of our white Lotus 2023, we have kind of a conundrum on our hands. Marketing as a study for sure, but often as a discipline is dominated by women And I'm running only off of a binary model here. I want to be super clear. That is its own problem, I should add. But the areas that women tend to dominate in marketing are actually often taken less seriously and they drive fewer major brand creative ideas. As a matter of fact, did you know fewer than 3% of all creative directors are women? So we have this tendency to undervalue these areas where women are most present Places like uh, social media, we were just talking about this earlier today, or content marketing. And we are still, unfortunately, putting out ads that are designed to speak to a specific audience, namely the demographic that's making the ads. 
Before we jump in, just a quick caveat. We are big fans here of like, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. But if it doesn't, then like, just leave it. Like, walk away from the shoe, leave the shoes alone. So like, instead of this hashtag, like not all men or like not all white people or whatever, we think it's super important to realize that, you know, the only way that we can make this industry better. And that's, that's what this, this podcast is focused on, right. Is, is responsible, ethical, honest marketing, making the industry better. And the only way to make it better is to approach it through a lens of critical realism, right? We can both exist inside of it and work to improve it at the same time, but we can't work to improve it if we won't be honest about what's not working or what needs improving. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of our discussion today. Uh, Now, Kaylee, I know that we've talked a lot about like, like we can be sour Sally. You can be a lot. Sour Sally, (laughs) right? Uh, Like, are we too critical of advertising? Should we be doing more to celebrate this creativity versus like nitpick at it I don't know like what are your thoughts here so let's just bring it back to the idea that the purpose of an ad an ad an ad is to effectively attract customers to your business especially by promoting your products and services that's what it is whether that's in an image a movie or even just a sound clip that's what an ad is So the question at play is really the ethics of advertising and if we should be so critical of an ad we don't like, or if we should just leave it at face value of that was a super nice moment, I felt. (laughs) According to uh, the American Educational Foundation, advertising critics claim that ads play on people's emotions, uh, specifically with promises of social acceptance and sex appeal. Definitely a GoDaddy commercial, if you remember those back in the day. And it's making them uh, make purchases you really can't afford or don't need. It's the literal definition of TikTok made me buy it and how myself and others on this podcast may have purchased. <laughs> like, I like you're like, others on the podcast. There's two, there's two, <laughs> two other people. Two other like, people. Well, like are we? Like, <laughs> you know, wellness gummies, a workout hula hoop, yes. clothes, many not so necessary purchases. So where does the ethics of it all come into play when a brand develops this beautiful heartwarming message of acceptance, love, community, and it ends with buy our Budweiser now. (laughs) Well, and I mean, like we, we've talked about this too. We talked about the JMB whiskey holiday ad and we, you know, one of my main criticisms of it was initially, you know, after, after I cried was like, what the fuck does this have to do with whiskey? Right. And so and, and, you know, we, we kind of dissected that, like, does it matter? Should it matter? We don't know. But ultimately, like you said, I mean, the point of an ad is to sell a product, mm-hmm. right? And, or, or to, at minimum, associate your brand with a way of thinking or a type of audience that would be attracted to it. Exactly. That's, it's something, and I mean, maybe for like a future pod, it's something that is a discussion that I hear a lot you know, when you go into like some of our, our Facebook marketing groups and things like that, when a brand takes a stand like a Patagonia or like all of the brands that took a stand like post 2016 against like Trump or whatever, 
And you always have these outliers that are like, like cause a lot of the people inside of these groups are really appreciated. They really approve of it. They are, they're excited about it. Uh, they want their brands to make similar statements. But then you have these outliers that are like, yeah, well, way to, way to get rid of 50% of your total audience. And I'm like, you don't understand numbers, do you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like statistics, maybe a weak spot. Um, because like 50% of, for instance, Patagonia's customers probably weren't trying to burn down the Amazon. I'm just like, I'm tossing it out there, like not like, right? (laughs) Right. So like a lot of times when, when brands make these social stands, they're already talking to their audience. Mm -hmm. So when they make like the JMB whiskey holiday ad, you know, maybe they are positioning or they've made a safe bet because let's, let's be super real. Brands don't make unsafe bets. Even the big risks that brands take with advertising, I would venture a guess that nine times out of 10, those quote unquote big risks are backed up by some data that suggests they will be rewarded for it in the end. It's there to, you're there to buy products, right? So even if it is, like you said, this heartwarming message, we're there to associate our brand with something. We're there to buy products. And, you know, it's a little bit like, it reminds me a little bit of the stand-up comedy discussion. Like, I don't know if y'all know Lindy West. Uh, she's a writer, used to be at Jezebel, oh. wrote uh, an incredible, uh, timeless annual classic that you should check out called I Watched, I Rewatched Love Actually So You Don't Have To. And it's perfect. So just like, you know, we're we're in the winter time. I know it's like post-holiday when this gets released, but still. Uh, Lindy West, uh, she writes for The Guardian now as well. And she pointed this out in one of her columns. I think it was for The Guardian. Where like people who believe that stand-up comedy should be immune to critique tend to both say that stand-up is a really important tool to speak truth to power and make people really think. And that's why you shouldn't critique it because like you don't want to stifle that, but also that we should just let it go because it's just a joke and it didn't mean anything. Yeah, just a prank, brat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my God, like if it's just a joke, it was just for the funnies, for the lulls. But like she argues that you can't have both. And that feels a little bit like where we are as an industry. Like it can't just be an ad to buy things if also brands are also using advertising to start conversations and impact their audience in a big way, which I think is, you know, what this study from Extreme Reach argues as well. Yeah. And it's interesting when discussing how some brands have done the we're here for you messaging well and others who have failed to be able to get the message across without noticeable sale of product. So I want to talk about two very similar products, Mm, two pretty semi-similar storylines, and two totally different time periods. One worked super well, is a classic, is shown during uh, marketing classes, and the other is one of the biggest ad flops of all times. So I am, of course, discussing Coca-Cola's I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing commercial from 1971 versus... Up against Pepsi's infamous 2017 Kendall Jenner commercial. Or, yeah. A favorite. <laughs> like, like the celebrity death match. Exactly. Like, right. Our newest one. <laughs> All right. So, if you weren't alive in 1971, which is fine, 
which is like if, okay if you're into that like, like, right. it's okay for like uh, none of us were but if that's you fine. weren't alive in 1971 then you may remember the coca-cola commercial from the series finale of mad men showing a scene of a group of diverse people holding a coke in their hand singing on top of a mountain about living in harmony and as you pull out to read it says on a hilltop in italy we assembled young people from all over the world to bring you this message from the coca-cola bottlers all over the world it's a real thing coke it's the real thing coke the message not only promoted coca-cola as a worldwide brand talking about all the different countries that they serve but also they're working together for this quote-unquote vision of peace and harmony the hilltop commercial was also so successful they remade it again in 1980 for yeah. christmas and in 1990 with the original 1971 cast. I was alive then, still don't remember it. Oh, well, yeah, I was <laughs> <laughs> So, Mrs. Jenner and the Pepsi people, though, did not have the same reaction as this jingle that became this, like, known song afterwards. My impression of the Pepsi ad was trying to be go in the same vein of the now iconic Coke commercial, but it made the absolute wrong turn at getting inspiration from real life events. So they took the outrage of protests throughout 2016. Think, you know, Black Lives Matter, Trump just was elected. You had the Women's March. I mean, 2016 was a huge protest year. They used it as their stage to utilize their celebrity endorsements that they're known for and make Pepsi Pepsi while also being inspired by the real-life image of Aisha Evans at the Baton Rouge Black Lives Matter protest. Kendall Jenner literally stands handing a Pepsi in the same pose as that iconic image of Aisha Evans. So, yikes. Right. <laughs> I hate it. So, one of the biggest takeaways from this ad, other than I don't think a single person of color was there to say maybe not, but... One of the biggest takeaways showed that marketers really need to reach outside the perspective, whether it's getting an outside ad agency or conducting thorough marketing research and reaching out to consumers. One thing is Marketing Week in one poll survey set, uh, surveyed 754 marketing professionals, revealing that nearly half of marketers believe that brands they work for are failing to reflect a modern, racially diverse humanity in their marketing and advertising. So now my question becomes, are there ethical ways that businesses can market to these underrepresented communities without explicitly exploiting them? Sure, sure. Well, especially because, like, Kendall Jenner's not Black. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, not even a little. No, not, not even a little. Not even <laughs> Armenian. Like, 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 appropriation aside, but like, right. Well, and I think that's really interesting, and, and it's uh, it's something that that is a problem both inside and outside. You know, the extreme reach study says, look, like we don't have any of these voices uh, that are in ads or even these images that are in ads. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that we saw from the study was how often women are heard but not seen, for mm, instance, yeah. or, you know, the the severely underrepresented, you know, racial minorities, but also uh, people with disabilities, you know, how often advertising is completely inaccessible for people who are blind uh, or deaf. And so it's this question of, you know, like, there's not enough diversity in the actual end user product, the end advertisement, 
and I think, you know, there's been a lot of question around, like, is that because there's not enough diversity inside the room as well? And like, what is advertising supposed to do? You know, I, I think, you know, going back to, to what we talked about, like, yes, these, these ads are designed to sell product, but I would argue that most creative directors don't look at their jobs as like, I make ads to sell widgets. Oh, never. Right. Like it's, it's art. It's It's an art form. And, and that's something that is respectable. Like every, every so often when we see an ad that is like truly like, wow, that's good. Whether it's inspirational or it's hilarious, you know, like these are things that, that we know, and that, that does make it an art form. It is an entertainment form in some way. And so I would say that, you know, uh, creative directors take a lot of pride in their work and they, and they want it to evoke some kind of emotion, inspire people, make them angry, make them think, make them laugh, like whatever it is that that looks like. So it's a both and, right? Like it is an art form, but it's an art form explicitly designed, created to sell something at the end of it. Yeah. And I know there are people who think that, you know, advertising is inherently evil or that, you know, they're immune to advertising. I mean, I I personally don't think that's true. There are so many major power players, even like just in the U.S., like Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they came into the mainstream because of like really well-placed ads and, and viral moments digitally. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is that question about being in the room. I know that there's also this discussion of like the overwhelming whiteness and maleness inside of these areas. And again, 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 shoes, shoes, if the shoe fits, wear it. And if it doesn't, leave it alone. Like, <laughs> That's right. It's all true. Put it on a different shoe. Put it on man. Look at it, bud. What are you doing with a shoe? You know, it's like, right. You know, there's overwhelming whiteness and maleness in these areas. And at least in the areas of marketing and advertising that are appropriately valued, right? And that can really impact and often limit the ways that people who belong to minority groups can actually represent themselves. And we all know the stories of those ads that made it through, like the Pepsi one. Like, yeah. Green like this. Who fucking greenlit this? The Balenciaga ad. There was a, um, I, I still uh, won't drink Belvedere vodka after, God, this was like a decade ago that they put out a print ad that was a black and white ad of a woman who looked like she was trying to get away and a man like coming up behind her to like grab her. And he's like laughing and she looks like she's super uncomfortable and trying to leave. And it like the ad was for Belvedere and like, it was like at least like Belvedere goes down smoothly and it was so rapey and awful and gross. And like I said, like a decade later, still won't touch it. Will not order it. Does not matter. I look at that and I go like, who fucking greenlit this? Like I've been doing this, working inside this business for over a decade, like who who thought that was okay? Who who never said anything? But like, I also now that I've been in some of these rooms, yeah, and like we've had these client moments, right? Where like we're not in charge of creative, we're not creative directors, we're not a cre- even a creative ad agency. We are here as strategic experts. We help with messaging and audiences mm-hmm. and, and bridging the gaps because, you know, okay, fine. There are a lot of art folks, artsy types that, that want everybody to see their vision. And I think our job has always been to ground that vision and, and connect, not like 
ground it in a way that we're a buzzkill, but like, how do we connect this with the actual audience, right? And I think we've experienced, you know, two big things. Like one, who's in the room when some of these ideas are being proffered, but also two, who's allowed to speak in that room? Oh, yeah. Like, I think that's seriously an underconsidered point, right? That, that if I'm in the room, but I'm either undervalued, I'm uncomfortable speaking up, I'm risking my job or my reputation, or if no one fucking listens to me, is my presence in the room really that impactful? Is it enough to be in the room? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like, how and I know that... Uh, these kinds of considerations really started a lot of conversations in our team about like who we are and what we do and even like how this podcast would be made and presented. Like we're creating our own, I mean, we've created our own studio. We have our own room uh, a little bit, you know, and like our own table, like magazine table, like, right. But like <laughs> looking around, it seems like a lot of like not men people are still pretty limited in how they can present themselves and their ideas. Yeah. And that's the first thing I thought about, even like back when you were talking about like who was in that room. And I was like, well, actually more like who feels comfortable in that room? Who's been, I mean, even back as far as like who's socialized to speak up in mm-hmm. those moments. And how often is that person's voice acknowledged anyway, right? Like totally. all of those things you said. And like, I remember when we were looking at marketing podcasts alone and we were doing our little research and we saw such like stereotypical things, like such clear delineations between like, let's face it, like cishet white dudes or cishet seeming white dudes and like everybody else like we were looking at like where are some women led or non-men led industry podcasts and like all of their their own advertising or creative they were in like non-threatening poses sans serif fonts dusty rose backgrounds like and like a lot of them were geared toward mlms and the majority of podcast hosts themselves were white men sure oh yeah Kaylee. Yes. Kaylee's favorite rapper. Young Gravy. Just so for everyone out there, let him know I I did a shout out. (laughs) Young Gravy, listen. Do you want to listen to that marketing podcast? Do you want, do you want to sponsor our pod, Young Gravy? Yeah. Yeah. Just wait. Um, anyway, he went to school for marketing and famously said that he went because the classes were like 80% femme presenting folks. He said women, but like, listen, you get it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and he's not wrong. Anecdotally, anecdotally, like the teams we work with are, are fairly diverse, sure. I'd say. Sure. But the people who are decision makers are not. Yeah. Like, I can't believe how frequently we see diverse teams put in hours, weeks, months of work on campaigns who are then like blocked by a white dude with a CMO label. Sure. Like pointing out something that they don't like in the final hour that could have been prevented if he had attended like one meeting or put in any of the labor other than like, I don't like that now that you've done it all. Start over and do something new in like 24 hours. Like this happens. I think a lot. I mean, am I 
wrong in this observation? No, no I, and I've, I've seen it happen, uh, you know, even, even outside of uh, people that we've worked with, I've seen it happen. I've been on those teams in my career. I've been on those teams where you put in all of this work and time and attention and you have a new and interesting idea that's coming from, uh, you know, somebody who may not be a big stakeholder, but is like, like has data to back up their point. I've been that person in rooms saying like, look at this data and like presenting to my boss or whoever and saying like, this is the message we need to run with. Why aren't we doing this? And I I mean, like I worked for a, a now defunct company that had been acquired by a massive tech conglomerate where when I came in and we were, you know, targeting uh, uh, people in tech um, for this particular product that we were selling. But when I came in, I mean, I reported to, uh, you know, that that sort of like standard, highly valued demographic, uh, you know, a, a white guy that when I asked about buyer personas and who our personas were, he, it was thrown out, like, it was just like a stereotype. They were two white guys. One just happened to be a little bit wealthier than the other. And that was the decision maker. And then the other one was the end user. And like, this was like in like, like six years ago, mm-hmm. less than, you know? So it's not, it's not like this was in the nineties. Like, like we are already seeing so much more diversity in tech and tech decision makers and when I worked for another Fortune 100 like household name, I, you know, don't want to mention them on the podcast <laughs> without it, like without clearing it first. But like when I worked on that team, like consulted for that team, it was highly diverse. So yeah. these stereotypes are are incorrect. But when I asked this guy about it, like, hey, you know, where is the data to back up that this is who we're talking to? It's oh no, I just know. Mm. I've worked in agencies where the the founder readily admits that the personas were just something he came up with on a napkin 15 years ago and have literally never been documented or thought about or validated by data. So, you know, I say all of that to say that to back up what you're saying that like, yes, there are a lot of these people that are not only making the decisions, but making them with nothing to back them up except for a hunch or a preference or a feeling while the rest of us are considered to be emotional and irrational and, and sure, sure, sure. you don't act without the data. And then when people who aren't those people do this work that does back up this messaging, it, you know, it's shouted down. So, yeah. And I mean, this is the, this is the thing about like DEI efforts in general totally. and kind of like, I want to acknowledge that we're seeing diverse hires, you know, we sure. are seeing an increase in diversity but it's a little slimy because essentially you still have this CMO that is the same demographic that gets applauded now for diverse hiring and those successes of that team when they happen. But like he has the power to derail efforts at the drop of a dime with no backup. And, and that, that thing is that he still ultimately holds power. It doesn't, you know, like... Right. It, it's not equity, but anyway, I digress. No, I mean, like, I think, I think that that's an important point, right? Like, does it matter who's in the room if only one person in the room holds that power? Like we, we always talk about, you know, and there's been a lot of conversation in the last decade about like, if there's not a seat at the table, like, 
you know, make a longer table or whatever, like make your own table, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. And I guess you could argue that like, you know, even in this podcast, it's an act of making our own table, so to speak. But I also think that what we should be doing, people who, and we saw this at the conference that we were at back in Chicago, right? Yeah. That you've got a, a panel of women who, as soon as you, as soon as you see a panel of women and you said it, Alan, you were like, oh, this is a diversity talk. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it hundred percent was, mm-hmm. it was because when do you ever see a panel of women or a panel of just not men? That isn't about women and diversity. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's very typical. Mm-hmm. Right. Or even, even, you know, not white men. Yeah. And then it's, then it's gender and racial diversity, right? Like yes. that's, so, you know, as soon as you see that, if there isn't a, a white man included, it, it, it absolutely has to be that. And so, and you, you said it then and there, but like, we had that conversation even after that panel around, like, I'm tired as, as a woman business owner, I'm tired of the panels and the conversations where the people who are part of minority groups, who are leaders stand up and talk about how we have, you have to make your own table. Like not only do you have to make your own table, but also they're trailblazers. We're trailblazers. I'm fucking tired of blazing trails. Why aren't we working together? Why aren't we showing people that like this, you know, if this podcast, I don't even know if it is, I don't even know if this particular marketing and business podcast is either one of just a few or the only podcast that is, you know, not men swearing about marketing, right? Like, I don't even know that that's the case. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it is, you know, I'm going to say with the research that we did, it seems like it's different. So maybe we are blazing a trail, but also like, let's work together on this stuff. Like let's, instead of making a new table, let's, let's, compliment each other's tables and stop reinventing the fucking wheel. Right. Yeah. And so like, and, and, you know, maybe I'm a total fucking hypocrite and maybe that's exactly what it is that we're doing here. But I think that we have to stop if, if we, if we have white men that are in these positions of power, they need to, for diversity, recognize that they need to hand that power off to somebody else or somebody else needs to also have that power in a, in a diverse position. But also when we in marginalized groups are, are in positions of power, I think we need to also call each other in. Right. You know, in the, in like, we can't be the diversity hire and be proud of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's maybe that sounds shitty. I, cause I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not saying the thing that I, I, I mean to say, I don't, it's a little bit like how um, I have encountered this throughout my career where uh, women will often tell me they hate working for women. Hate yes. Us. And that I think is for a few reasons, right? I think that, you know, women are conditioned to, to believe that we're all in competition or we're all hating each other and it's just not fucking true. But also there was a study done, God, this was like 20 years ago, a study done that like women who are in positions of power have a tendency. And this was again, 20 years ago. So I do believe it's changed, had a tendency to mirror men 
Yes. And work in those ways. And we've even, we've seen that. We've seen that with people where, with, with women, with people in minority groups where we're like, oh, I get why you're acting that way. Cause you had to act that way exactly to get to where you are. But now we got to stop acting that way. Yeah. Now it's time yeah. to break the wheel. Right. But it's such a catch 22. Okay. Like these stereotypes are these things that we end up falling yeah. into, right? Because we've all at some point in our lives, like had to mask ourselves in a stereotype for safety, or like you said, to earn titles, to get where you are, like women be more direct, but then also then if you are, you're a bitch, right. Right. Or difficult to work with. And so it's like, well, which one do you want? Right. Right. Like, right. Like where's, where's, where, where do I go? Or like, Black folks, people of color, feeling like they need to be the perfect outstanding employee or else and meet arbitrary and ever-evolving goalposts of white people professionalism. Right. We are in trans people not feeling safe enough to be out, to use pronouns, to have their, their names honored, like neurodivergent people, creatives tolerating like a lack of understanding of, of their, their needs, you right. know, overstim, early mornings. So essentially no one is allowed to be themselves, but one demographic. Sure. And that's the demographic still in power. And what are the consequences of falling outside of one's stereotypes? I mean, like we've all talked about a job is and can be a life or death thing for underrepresented groups. Right. Like, you know, and we see it all the time, all the time. So like, and I'm, I'm thinking of, when we were looking specifically at marketing podcasts and we were like, why are these men the ones that get to be no bullshit, no frills, funny. Right. Right. And, and all these other groups are having to, to be stereotyped or, or feel like they need to be a certain other way. Am I making sense? It is. It is. And I think, I think too, you know, I even said when we were, when we were like sketching out the architecture for this podcast, what the fuck we were going to talk about, right? I worried. I was like, oh man, do we sound like the angry feminist? That's why I stopped. I was like, I'm on a tirade. (laughs) I need to stop. I sound like a mad queer. Right. You're the angry trans. Right. Yeah. Like, like woke, you know, like (laughs) literally I was losing steam because in my head I was like, Wait, I sound like. And we're talking to a fucking microphone. Yeah. We're talking to each other and we're just imagining an audience that doesn't even exist yet because as of today recording, we have not released anything. (laughs) (laughs) And we're still. But also love us. Love me, I'm good. And, and. I think that, you know, for our would-be critics, all of our would-be critics for our imaginary audience, uh, that were very, very concerned about like how we sound and, and feel to you. You know, I think for, for any would-be critics out there, I think that's important to note too, right? Like we're learning in public and we are not immune to that critique that like we are trying to critique ourselves and we're trying to challenge our clients. And like, I don't want it to sound like, you know, we're, we're talking shit because we're not like, these are things that we encounter and that we know we want to be able to bring to the table for our clients to do better every day. That's an important part of this. And and you can't, again, to call back to what I said earlier, you can't have the conversation. You can't improve the thing if you can't have the conversation 
about what might be broken and what's not. Mm -hmm. And when we don't call out the thing in the room, that's when we end up with the advertising, right? The, the advertising that doesn't, that doesn't further anything that ends up being broken. That's when we end up with uh, white men being the voice and the face of these ads, like we're seeing in this extreme reach study. But also, like, if we don't speak up, is that our fault? Or is that a result of how safe we feel in any work environment? Or just how socialized we are? I don't think you can remove, like, socialization and and the broader context or industry even like yeah. I mean this creates an industry-wide vibe right for lack of a better term right you know? well and I think you made an interesting point too uh earlier talking about like just kind of not not just the the more minority groups and and feeling like you know we can't be ourselves or we can't speak up or we might not be listened to or not even just how we're feeling but how we might actually be treated in a room but also talking about like when we were looking through a lot of these marketing podcasts and uh you know thinking about like the the white men that we know in advertising like how much freedom is there to for anyone to be themselves you had made right. sort of a point. Of oh, yeah, about, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was talking about like, why do they get to be funny and no bullshit? Right. right. But like, is that also a stereotype? Sure. For white men? Like, sure. Got to be the Joe Rogan of advertising. Got to do that. <laughs> or is it the ones that feel empowered enough to. Sure. And safe enough in the industry to showcase expertise, to raise controversial concerns, to be heard. And also, like, can they literally afford to? Like, they won't get fired. Sure. They're not worried about their positions. They're not worried about finding another one. Right. Not to say that there's no worry, but, you know, as we know, it's a little bit easier to navigate. And we've all, we've talked about, like, how quickly they reach expert executive, mm-hmm. how they're socialized, again, not to really question whether they're an expert once they're there. So I think you know, all of that kind of plays into it. There's so much to that, you know, that when I, when I shared the study that we're talking about, it was pretty disheartening to think about, especially since, you know, we've been sort of like beating this drum for years now about having more diversity in our ads. Um, you know, one of our clients actually uh, in, in our like early days with this client, probably one of our favorite clients too, they were really, really good at poking and and pushing back on diversity and imagery. And I think it really yes. just like got like seared into our brains, like, oh yeah, this is something that maybe we didn't have to think about, which I think is also important to point out. Like, again, we're learning in public. It's not like we came out the womb and we're just like railing at a diversity. Like we, we weren't, you know, we yeah. are also having to learn. It took a couple emails with people saying the, these ads are too white. Right. Like, yeah. And I think that's the more important thing is that people should speak up, especially the men in power. So ideally the CMOs would create a feeling within your room, within your marketing team that you're able to speak up because at the end of the day, it's for the betterment of the brand. I also wanted to just kind of point out that there have been men who have actively searched out diverse people and there has been backlash of them like, 
Are you cutting down their expertise that way because you were actively looking for a black woman or a woman in this position instead? So is it really about how great they are or just because you needed to fill this spot? That that tends to be the argument. But I would say if it wasn't for Alexis Ohanian, like saying specifically a black person needs to take my seat at the board, they wouldn't have hired anyone. Right. It wouldn't have been a black person. But it's also a false equivalence. Right. And Mm -hmm. this is this is the constant false equivalence that we see inside of like this sort of like diversity, uh, you know, air quotes. This this affirmative action argument that you can only there is there is a mutually exclusive binary of you are either looking for someone who is the most talented or you are looking for a minority. And it's fucked up and wrong because, oh, so uncool. It suggests that anyone who is part of a minority group is inherently less talented than people who are not inside that minority to say I'm looking for a black woman and everybody blowing up and saying oh you only care about it being a black woman well no it's saying that I'm going to pay attention to this wealth of equally if not more and I would argue more talented just because of how much harder minority groups have to work to get the same level of talent and expertise and to be taken seriously, how much more talent and expertise to your earlier point, Alan, that they have to have to be taken seriously. This is not a question of an either or either we find somebody who is a diversity hire or we find somebody who's talented. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it's just that there is so much talent sitting inside of these minority groups that is getting ignored exactly because we have so much higher standards for what they're allowed to bring to the table and be considered talented it's it's a false equivalence it's a double standard it's uh i mean it, the the idea that it's an either or is just bullshit in in and of itself right yeah so i mean i think that we know we know there needs to be more diversity. I think in terms of action items, you know, that we would be giving our, our future audience, our listeners here is it's not like, like, what can we do? Right. Okay. So extreme reach says all of a sudden advertising is more white and more male than it has been in four years, which is, is sad and frustrating. So what can you do? Uh, it starts with your ads, Right. Uh, if you're talking, if you're involved in the ad process in any way, shape or form, paying attention to the, uh, the representation inside of your ads, paying attention to whether you're using, um, you know, women or, uh, black folks or indigenous folks or queer folks inside of your ads, disabled folks. So making sure that you're bringing that kind of representation to the table immediately, that is such a fast fix. Mm -hmm. It is such a fast fix. And I know it's a fast fix because as I was like personally learning to be, to pay more attention to this, it was a matter of, hey, this is too white. Hey, this is too male. Hey, this is too uh, able-bodied. And, oh, okay, well, then I need to go look for things. Now, I will say that there is a dearth of good stock imagery inside of these areas, for sure. If you're queer, the only stock images are pretty vogue Like, 
Sure. All queers sure. according yes. to stock images. We are, we are all expert uh, expert yeah expert level like fashion every right right <laughs> i almost said we're all chuggy but i think that's a bad word that's a bad word oh we're it's not chuggy millennially oh that's chuggy yeah well we're, we're probably chuggy i'm millennially okay like, chuggy. I am, chuggy. am i chuggy I'm you're chuggy. also oh i'm not whoa <laughs> Tired. Yeah, everyone. Everyone is tired. Like, the, the beginning and the end of the podcast. This is fun. Um, I, I know that there's a, a dearth of, um, of of stock imagery with disabled bodies because mm-hmm. man, I spend a lot of time looking for folks in wheelchairs who were not either very elderly um, or like even just like not having wheelchairs, like showing other disabilities that exist, sure. or who weren't like in serious need of help, like just living their fucking lives right but that's one way that you can do this is is if you're using stock imagery seek out what you can you know pay for it if you can because there's definitely a dearth of free stock imagery like this in free stock video Um, but if you can pay for it on uh you know uh, what's the shutterstock or or you know another like canva has paid options as well then do that you know if you're if you're able to uh even thinking about your copy and who it's written for and and you know uh whether or not it includes that representation. That's a good place to start. But I think, you know, another place to start is paying attention to the room that you're in, the decisions that are made, Um, you know, whether or not you feel safe to speak up, or if there are other people that you wonder if they feel safe to speak up. Um, Being able to say like, hey, what what are your thoughts on this? They, Mm -hmm. They do matter to me. They're important. Um, Those are going to be the types of things that it seems like, you know, would be really quick easy, immediate action items to pay attention to. Uh, And if nothing else, if you're not really close to advertising, um, paying attention to the types of ads that you see. Uh, You know, I, I know that we we've talked about this before with fashion brands that feature fat models like or models of all different types of bodies and shapes and sizes. That's super important to be able to do. But you know, what, what are you seeing throughout the course of your ads? And are you speaking up about it as well? Um, even if it's, you know, leaving a Facebook comment, noting something on Twitter, like ask for the representation that you believe that we need. And, and if you are, uh, this, uh, white man that has, is either wearing the shoes or trying to fit into the shoes that maybe don't fit you, or you're actually wrestling with with this, like, we hope you do, like, we hope we all do, um, you know, empowering the other people in the room, asking for those other voices, remembering that, uh, minority groups doesn't, you know, mean less talented or less experienced and paying attention to people, you know, when they talk. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Any other final thoughts y'all would like to add? Oh, I was thinking that accessibility on your ads is actually another pretty easy way for representation, right? Captioning, descriptions, just making things, making sure things can be crawled by software mm-hmm. for accessibility purposes. Yeah, my my only thought is like, honestly, you're like you had said at the beginning, you're leaving money on the table because it's not only white people buying a lot of these products and services. It right. takes an image of someone saying they look like me and they're using it. Cause damn, if that's not how I bought 
my hula hoop from TikTok. (laughs) Being someone with my body saying this was a low impact exercise and it works for me. And I went, fuck yeah. Right, right. It's, I mean, it cannot be overstated Mm -hmm. that like, if I understand or like the same with like shapewear and things like that, if I'm only seeing people that are, are already an extra small strength, I'm not going to use that against my two X body. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I want to make sure it's going to fit me as well. Right. So yeah, I think those are, those are relatively easy and low lift ways. Also, if you're involved in casting, asking, you know, specifically um, for more diverse representation in the casting. Um, but also if you're involved in event planning or placing speakers or things like that, thinking about, you know, seeking out more diverse voices in general to not just talk about a panel on diversity, Um but to talk about the things that we're experts in, because like when I get asked to talk, I, I, people know, I think now like that I'm not really the person you want on your diversity panel. Cause I'm going to say something like that, but on all of the, <laughs> the panels I've been on in my career, you know, the ones that I've enjoyed the most are privacy compliance and messaging and like, you know, including your user uh, and how to get, you know, information from your user first party acquisition. Those are the types of things that I love. And that's what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't exist as a, a queer woman for a living. That's right. not like, it, look, if y'all are willing to pay, if it like, pays the bills, <laughs> but I'll be a token right, yeah. for some money. Uh, but I got to get those tokens. Um, so yeah, I think those are relatively low lift and, and, uh, pretty immediate things that you can do to, to make it so that when extreme reach studies this again next year, it's not, uh, concerning moving backwards, moving towards less representation, but more instead. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, We are looking forward to bringing you an interview with our next podcast. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Smash Uh, it. Smash it. Smash it. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarkit, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarkit. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 